Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shay Zaru, and in today's episode, I'm joined by the incredible Marissa Inder. Marissa actually won IPF Worlds in 2017 and has broken so many American records over the past eight years of her lifting career. She will no doubt be breaking more in the future when obviously competitions come back into play. But in terms of lifting and longevity, Marissa is one of the greatest examples of someone who's at the top of their game and has been for a really long time. If you're listening to this and you're quite new to powerlifting, um, it's very rare to find people being involved in the game for a really long time. A lot of people float in and out. Um, Marissa is just one of those people who seems to have a really great balance in her training of doing specific work and then switching things up to keep her motivated and interested. So today we spend some time chatting about that and some errors she thinks that other people may be making late into their powerlifting careers, but also at the start as well. We also chat about her squat plateau, which is something that is also close to my heart, considering I had always also been in a squat plateau over the past couple of years, which I recently just got out of, which has been exciting. But Marissa squatted 150 kilos in competition in 2017 at the Arnold Grand Prix and hasn't been quite able to get back to there yet. So we spent a little bit of time talking about how she's been approaching squats and both mentally and in her programming as well. And we round off our conversation talking about her muscular physique and how she's been setting an example for her teenage daughter when it comes to people commenting on it on the internet. She is an insanely amazing competitor and someone who has such a good grip on training, life, social media, all of it. She's definitely a role model for me in this area and I have no doubt that you'll see why after this episode. I hope you enjoy my chat with Marissa Inda today and if you're looking for her on Instagram or want to get coaching from her, head to the links in our show notes. Welcome Marissa to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so uh, glad to be talking to you. It's, it's crazy because I was like, uh, it came up in my memories when we were all at the gym kind of posing together and it's just, man, time flies by. Was that a year ago? No, no sure. That was two years ago. About three years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Time has gone. That is crazy to even think yeah. about. I thought maybe two. I can't even believe I just said a year. Just <laughs> <laughs> No, it seems like a year, but it's been, I want to say three years now. That is so crazy. Wow. Um, obviously, I have I have known you for since I have gotten into powerlifting and you've been definitely one of the first people that I followed when I got into it. But for those who don't know you, if you just want to give yourself a bit of an introduction and maybe a bit about your background as well, because you have quite a lot of experience in sport and especially gymnastics as well. So I'd love for you to touch on that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, for those that don't know, my name is Marisa Inda. I'm uh, 43 years old. And I'm a 52 kilo uh, powerlifter. I've um, actually been powerlifting now. I guess it's probably going on seven, maybe eight years. But um, so I started a little bit later in the powerlifting game. But I have been lifting weights since I was 17 years old. Competed in bodybuilding uh, first, and then. Um, but prior to that, I was a gymnast. So I really feel like I've kind of had a good start from the get go. Um, gymnastics is, you know, just such a great sport. I think for everybody to do when they're younger because it just teaches body awareness. Um, upper body strength, explosiveness. So then when you want to transition into other sports, I think it's just a great starter for any, any kid. So I'm really fortunate that I was in that for so long. Um, I think that's also one of the reasons I have like such a great bench Hmm. and I'm able to do a ton of pull-ups because everything you do is just pulling your own body weight. So, um, yeah. And then that was just kind of a natural transition for me to get into uh, lifting weights because gymnastics has a shelf life. If you're 14, 15 years old and you're not at that elite level, 
you're just, you really can't do anything else with it. You can, yeah, you could go to college um, and, and maybe get on a team that way, but it's also a really expensive sport. My family didn't have a lot of money to keep me in consistently. So I'd get in and then I would be out. I'd be in, I'd be out. We moved a lot. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I did was just also at home. My, I mean, my dad built a bar against the chicken coop so I could practice there. My grandpa built me a beam. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing was also just doing it on my own until we could afford to get into a gym. So, you know, unfortunately it just wasn't in the cards for me to um, go very far with that aside from doing high school gymnastics. But I just kind of did track after that, kind of hated it. I did a dance class and then I was like, man, I, I really wish I could find something that I like that kind of pushed me really hard the way gymnastics did and um, actually a friend of mine took me to the gym with her her parents had a membership and we were I ended up in like a step class which was terrible I was like dying so I was like I'm gonna go get water and I went downstairs and stumbled into the weight room and I've kind of just been addicted to weights ever since I just loved it yeah that's amazing and so you said you started lifting weights at 17 right that is amazing such a long period of time that you've been involved you often see when people come into powerlifting those who do already have some muscle mass or who have been lifting weights already they already have such a good base and i imagine that was the case for you going into powerlifting so after you were started lifting weights at 17 what age did you find powerlifting and how did you get into that yeah i didn't find powerlifting until i was in my 30s um and i got into that because i was competing in bodybuilding um, back when I was competing, there was only bodybuilding. There wasn't like bikini and physique. And um, in the beginning, it was great because it was physiques like Rachel McClish, um, which were kind of more dialed down. But then like drugs entered the sport and, you know, there's NPC does not drug test. And that does not to say that everyone that does NPC does drugs. But at that time to get to a certain level, the women were just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was just definitely not a route I wanted to take. Um, so I just continued lifting and then, and I was like, man, I really wish I could find something to be competitive in. And, um, I just stumbled across a, uh, a flyer actually to enter into a powerlifting meet. And I was like, wow, I've, I've always been really strong. I was really fortunate in the beginning when I started lifting, um, you know, guys were really cool. I don't, I, I know like a lot of people think, oh, it's intimidating to go into a gym, but I was actually like embraced with open arms. They were like really excited to show me stuff and like lift weights. Don't be afraid to lift weights. And so I was very fortunate to be introduced to, to free weight lifting, squats, bench, deadlift early on. And I was always pretty strong from my gymnastics background. So I'm like, ah, I'm just going to jump in this powerlifting meet and see, see what it's about. And I just jumped into it, didn't know anything about it, didn't even know I had to pause the bench press. I was still <laughs> squatting high. I was just doing everything very bodybuilder-like. Yeah. I, I, I trained as a bodybuilder leading up to that meet. And you know, actually did pretty well, set some state records, which I know there's like a million records for every kind of division. But um, yeah, I kind of just fell into it and fell in love with it and just been doing it ever since. Yeah. And you so said, did you have, what kind of hooked you in that meet? Was it just a lot of fun for you? Or I guess, imagine you're good at it as well. And so that you probably saw your potential, but. Yeah, I definitely kind of saw my potential and, and also kind of gave my training some direction because I stopped competing in bodybuilding when I was probably like 21, 22. And so I had such a long period of just training to train, which I love training, which is why I think it's, I've been in it so long because I actually love the process. I didn't need like a competition to keep me motivated. But um, I just liked at least having a little bit of direction. It was fun. I, I, saw, I did see that I had potential. And I was like, well, if I could actually train appropriately and train right, I could, I could get stronger. And I think that's the addiction is like, okay, well, if I benched, 
135 pounds. If I bench 60 kilos today, I bet in a year I could do, you know, 70 and 80. And it's kind of that addiction to always want to do more. Do you remember what your numbers were at that first meet? At that first meet, I know because I didn't know how to pause the bench. I probably did like a 60 kilo bench. Um, my squat was like 105 kilos maybe. And my deadlift was always pretty good. I think I did 142 and a half, maybe 150 kilo deadlift yeah. at that time. Yeah. Which is incredible because were you weighing in around the same that you do now? Have you always been yeah, around 52? I've always been the 52. I was, I was lighter though. So I kind of still had to build up to that 52 class. I was probably 110 pounds, which is maybe 50.5 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. But still not too much of a gap considering you're still in the 52 yeah. kilo class yeah. now. Yeah. And even now I don't get too far ahead above my weight class. I've kind of maxed out my physique, I think from just all the years of bodybuilding. So I'm, I usually like hover around 53 kilos. Yeah. And I know there've been some some talk of the weight class changes in the IPF. Yeah. I've seen the ones that would affect, say, like Kristen, but have they decided to change your weight class? Is that up in the air or? I had heard rumors that they were going to combine the 52s and uh, what is it, the 49s, the weight class beneath us. Yeah. But I think, I think that's going to be left alone and that they're just going to add that weight class between the, the 63s and the 72s and the... 80s yeah yeah so I think it was the 69 kilo class and then the 76 yeah. kilo class but I read yeah. somewhere that it's being voted on in January but that would be it would be awesome to see more weight classes in the IPF based on I guess the data that they have and where people have been sitting and because those weight classes were decided obviously a really long time ago yeah and there's such a big gap between that when you get into Kristen the 72s and the 63s and there's such a big gap so I mean I can't really see them doing anything with the 52s I mean mm. because it's, it's pretty you know you have the 49s 52 the 57s and then the 63s so I think yeah. the gap is more in those like heavier weight classes yeah it does definitely feels like it's a bit more evenly spaced out in the lower end range so yeah but I do think it's a point to make. It is a shame that politics have kind of gotten in the way of your weight class because yeah. it would have been awesome to see you guys up there again battling it out and because it is such an incredible weight class to watch at the IPF level. Yeah, and it, it, just speaking on that, it definitely sucks too because Liz and I are like great friends and but when we're backstage, we're great, we're great competitors, but we still have this like rapport and from 2017 worlds to 2018 worlds, it was just so different. It wasn't as fun. The, there wasn't that same camaraderie in the back with kind of like the OGs being back there where it's, we can still bullshit with one another, but then still go out there and be, and be competitors. And so, yeah, it's definitely been, I think, just different every year since then with the changes in other countries not being able to go and not having like the same high level competitors out there that push one another. And but then also know how to have fun in the back and, and get on with one another. So it's definitely been a change. It definitely sucks. I would like to see it come back to how it was, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. 
I agree. I think it's a little bit up in the air with the new federation at the moment and what will come of that. It's been, it has been a couple of years now though, which is crazy again to think about that these changes happened. It has definitely contributed to a lot of people, I think being less motivated because there's less of a pathway now to get to the IPF and, you know, as much as what people say about the IPF and the drug testing, et cetera, et cetera, it is still where all the best people come to compete and that's where people want to be at the end of the day. So it definitely is a bit of a shame that things have kind of come that way and hopefully in the next couple of years. I mean, yeah, agreed. Plus it's just fun. It's just fun to have, have like the people back there that push you and also know how to have fun that you get along with. So yeah, yeah, did you ever feel like there was ever like a line that was crossed? Like, did you ever take, was it ever hard to navigate that in terms of having, say, a competitor and someone who you are going up against and then also having a friend? Or is it when you are literally out on the platform, that's all that matters. And then when you go back, it's completely different. Yeah, I think it's, Liz is kind of like me in that way. When we're back there, we're competitors. We're not mean or, or hateful to one another. But then we kind of have that understanding when it's over, it's over. And, and we have a good time. I mean, she's been to California. I went with her to get her, her young and spontaneous ear piercing. And then we, can, we just shoot the shit and can have fun. I mean, I think it's just, it's easy to separate that because we just ne- never had like any bad words between one another. And we know like, I know like her being there helps me get better because I know she's a good lifter and it's like you want to just be better than that person so it pushes you to be a better lifter and I think if you're a competitor and you don't understand that then you probably shouldn't be a competitor has has that played at all into your training or like your motivation to be better is not having I joy is still there yeah um she doesn't really post a whole lot so I guess you don't really know what what she's doing but has that played in sorry said what we're saying Oh, no, I was going to agree. Yeah, it's hard to know because, um, she, again, Joy doesn't post a lot and I don't have that same rapport with her. We, we, I mean, we say hi and we're friendly, but there's not like this friendship and, and um, I don't know why. It's just we've just never connected on that, on that same level. Whereas with, I, I do that with like Liz and even Olga, who's not very talkative because she doesn't speak the language, but there's always kind of this like this bump type of thing that happens in the back um, the the Irish lifters and I don't know I don't know if this is kind of joy likes to and that could just be the how she operates as a competitor like I'm here I don't want to I want to separate that and um you know more power to her if that's how it works for her um but yeah I mean I just um I don't know I kind of feel like it's it to me it's I don't look at people's videos and kind of compete or get motivated in that way. I just know what they do on the platform and that kind of pushes you to, to be better. And of course with joy, the same thing, like the way she pushes her deadlift, it's like, okay, I can push mine a little bit more. And so, yeah, even with her, it's, it's definitely there to, to be better as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Speaking about your squat just before you've had some, I don't know what to, I don't know how to say it, but like when you go into your meets, you say you're always behind on your squat. And because you've been involved in the game for so long, I think I remember you squatting 150. What was that at the Arnold's Grand Prix, yeah. was it? Yeah. And was that 2017 as well? 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so since then, you haven't squatted 150 in competition, but you have squatted 147 and a half. Yeah. How have you navigated knowing that you can squat that and you have squatted that? and have been kind of narrowly missing it in competitions. Yeah, it's squat is super frustrating because it has been like this like thorn in my side for so long, um, especially with like the IPF. I feel like sometimes I've had squats to depth and I get called 
and it's because I have a narrow stance, I tend to, to fold in and the way they sit, they're not even on the sides, they're all in the front almost. It's like you have the person here and they're like right here, right next to them. So um, that being said, I'm like, okay, well then I need to take, do a wider stance. So I have tried like different methods to make it look more to depth for the, the, the IPF judges. And I think that's why I've had where it's gone down, it's gone up because whenever you make a change, it takes a while to get strong in that new position. And then I've had to deal with sciatica and, you know, sciatica has definitely affected like my deadlift and even my squat when you're going down the hole and shit starts to hurt. It's like, okay, there's that little bit of fear that goes in there. So yeah, it's definitely been frustrating, but it's like, okay, well, if, I, if as long as I'm trending upward and if I can maintain where I'm at, I know I can do more. I just have to put it all together and, you know, kind of pivot my expectations when things aren't feeling great, but then also realize like, okay, well, to win a meet, it's a total game. So I don't necessarily need to be the best squatter. I just need to be good enough and then put it all together so that you can win the meet. So, yeah. And I'm sure there are not many people listening who don't understand how powerlifting meets, how you win a powerlifting meet, but you win by a total, which is your best squat plus your best bench plus your best deadlift. And so the best person with the best total wins, um, unless you're in a Wilkes, but even then it's like that comes second to a total anyways. So that is how powerlifting meets work. So it means that if you say aren't the best squatter in the world, but you like humorous, like you have a really good bench and you have an incredible deadlift, you can come from behind, like you were saying at worlds and come and take that win. So it's really dependent on the person. Ideally you would be a well-rounded athlete yeah. in that space. Um, but again, you can look at people like Jen Thompson, for example. She has a, a good squat compared to the others in her weight class. It's not the best squat, but her yeah. bench is just so, 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 so far ahead of her other competitors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so definitely all you need is one great big lift, but ideally it's kind of being near at the top in all three so that you can put it all together. And it may not be as sexy or as like, you know, Instagram worthy. Oh, you just won by a total, but you know. I mean, a win is a win at the end of the day and you only win the world championship by getting, having the best total. So yeah. I just kind of work numbers to go, okay, if this isn't going to be here, what do I need to do on these other two lifts and at a meet, take each lift at a time instead of looking at the end game. I just have to make each lift that I'm setting myself up for. And then if you don't, then how do we start making up ground if we need to? Yeah. So how have you approached squats over the past, it'd be three years. Hey. Yeah. So <laughs> There's always like some frustration as I get towards like the peaking block. If I like miss a squat, it kind of definitely can get into your head, but I just look back and go, okay, well, I've done this before. I've done 150 before. I've, you know, I know even on a bad day I can hit 145. So if worst case scenario, I hit 145, I need to make sure that my bench and my dead is where it needs to be. I, I just try to have a more positive outlook and not thinking like I'm going to get a red light on my opener really focusing on depth and doing as much as I can in training to make sure that when I go to that meet, I'm hitting that opener. So as long as I hit that opener, it's going to then just, you know, hopefully get the ball rolling to feel confident about my second attempt and my third attempt. But at the same time, knowing if I don't hit my first or my second, which happened to me in Sweden, that I can rally and just make it happen on that third attempt. Have there been frustrations along the way? Oh, a ton. I mean, I mean, if Chad was here, he would tell you there's been lots of times where I've just like cried in the garage and then He's just like, you know what, this is fine. It's not a big deal. You've hit this before. It's a numbers game. And then, you know, you have to be positive. And I think that's just the main takeaway. Like if something bad happens in training, it's happening just for that day. 
it, the important time for it to go well is during the meet and to get your head straight so that when you come time to do the meet that you have confidence that you're able to do it. Because, you know, if you approach that bar and you've already defeated yourself, it's not going to go where you want it to go. So always approaching that bar with hundred percent confidence, even if you've missed the first two lifts, I've, I've gone into meets down, missing my opener, making it on my second in Sweden. I've missed my opener, my second attempt still rallied and, and knew that I'm, I'm going to make my third attempt no matter what. I have been through the same period, like with my squat and there definitely comes a time where you're like, am I contributing to this? I know for myself, I was going in quite negatively towards yeah. squats and thinking, uh, well, this is my worst lift. You know, I find it really hard to progress in this lift. And it was definitely hard. It would made it harder for me to progress because if you convince yourself of something, like a session is going to go bad or your squats are going to feel bad. The chances of them feeling bad are actually much higher. And I remember reading a post from you not too long ago and you were saying that people ask you what your favorite lift is and they always assume like deadlift or bench. And you said it's squat because that's where I need to do the most work on. Yeah, because it's always fun when you're good at something, but what keeps me motivated and what keeps me enjoying the process of lifting is learning to get better at something that I'm not great at. So as frustrating as squats is, I know like <laughs> the reward when I do well is just so much better for me because I know how hard I've worked to get it. Not that I haven't worked hard in deadlift or bench, but I think it's just, I don't have that same fear when I approach the bar. I, I mean, I've never had like a frustrating training block with like bench where I'm just like, Oh, I hate bench or my poverty bench. I've always just kind of, okay, I know it's going to be there. So I don't ever worry about it. Even with deadlift, even when I've dealt with all my sciatic issues and I'm just like, I was still doing great pulls in the midst of like barely being able to hinge and tie my shoe. Like it just wasn't that same type of like negative energy, even though like if there was any lift that I should have just put me in tears, it would have been that one for the last two years where it hurt to just bend down and grab the bar, but yet it didn't affect me in the same way. So that's why I feel like squats is just my favorite lift because it's just been such an asshole to me. You know, it's been, there's been such good highs and it's like, it's like a shitty boyfriend you keep going back to, but you know, I know at some point, like I'm just, it's, I'm going to conquer it and it's not going to have that same effect on me. Yeah. Was there a moment where the squat became that mental lift for you? Do you remember like a, a meet or something specific happening and then thinking, okay, I have that fear attached to squats now? Yeah. You know, um, my very first national, I actually bombed out on squats. Then it kind of gets in your head like, oh, I'm not hitting depth. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And it's like, you know, I'm not yeah, strong okay. enough. So you How, what negative. year was that? Oh man, I want to say maybe 20. So my first world was 2014. So it had to be 2013. Yeah. Okay. So it's a long time. Yeah. So, and, and also it's just like such a big meet to bomb out at. Like you didn't bomb out at some like regional meet and bombed out at nationals. Yeah. And so that was on your squat. Was it for depth? Yes. Yeah. I missed my yeah. opener, missed my second. And then here we go on the third. And, you know, I, I was just also being newer to lifting. I had made some mistakes. Um, that's when like physique competitions kind of became really popular again. I mean, it actually just opened up in bodybuilding. So I was like, oh, maybe I want to try to do a physique competition. So it was like I was dieting for that at the same time as, as prepping for this powerlifting meet. And I, I, had, I had weighed in at that meet, I think like 110 pounds, like 50 kilos for a 52 kilo meet. And I just opened too heavy. Even though warmups were going pretty decent, I just made such a big jump from my last warmup to my opener. And it just, it wasn't there. It was just kind of, I think, just dumb rookie mistakes. And I wouldn't have bombed out if I had been smarter, but I just wasn't smart enough about it. 
Did you have a coach at that time or were you coaching yourself? I was coaching myself. How, what, you you know, know, I was still learning, but, you know, even after, after, you know, I made it to the South Africa team, I was still, I still coaching myself. And then when I was in South Africa, after that meet, that's when I started working with Chad for that following nationals. Cool. What do you think was the biggest change for you coaching yourself and then having Chad coach you? Um, Chad was just much better at like uh, making a peaking block. I had the hypertrophy stuff down. Like I know about volume, but I just wasn't good with like, you know, arranging how I should do everything, especially leading up to a meet and having like a proper peaking block. Um, he was, I, I was going straight from like hypertrophy to let's just go to the meet because it was still like that bodybuilding kind of like mentality. Like, Oh, I want to stay as muscular as I can versus like Chad was coaching and programming phasic training. You have a hypertrophy block and we move to strength and then we, we go into a peak. So it was, that was like the main really big difference. Did you see your progress really shoot up after that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I went from, you know, you know, going, being behind Susie Hartwig who had won nationals like for five years in a row to like beating her, but not, but not even by a little bit, but beating her pretty significantly for, you know, just kind of coming into the mix. And I feel like I've just kind of been on this upward trajectory since then, you know, you kind of go to these little like plateaus, but I feel like I still have more in the tank, even though I'm getting older. So when you've gone through the periods of plateaus, that was a point that I had to chat to you about. Have there been times where you've been disheartened or have you always felt that way in terms of having more in the tank? I've always felt like I've had more in the tank. I think the longer you're in the game, you have to then look at, okay, why am I plateauing? You know, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you're just getting older. You've already hit your career peak. But for me, it's like, okay, my, my deadlift, I didn't PR on the platform for two years. Well, why? Well, I've been dealing with sciatica. So it's like, okay, you already know that that's probably going to be an issue. So main point for me now is to stay as healthy as I can to keep me in the game as long as I can. So I already know like a PR may not be there, but I can still like, if I'm still making a PR on bench and my, my squad is staying pretty steady, I could still potentially make a total PR, you know, or am I still winning nationals? Yes. So I feel like that's just kind of kept me more motivated. And also I know there's reasons behind why there has been plateaus. And yeah. as you get, you're, you're scraping for those half kilos. Like it's not going to be like it was when you first start lifting where you make 50, you know, 20 kilogram, 20 kilo PRs. Like, that's just not a thing. You might be lucky if you have a two kilogram PR total. Yeah, I think it's interesting for, to look at someone's progress over a really long period of time. And I looked at your open powerlifting, for example, and it was awesome to see your progress from start to finish. And then obviously there have been those plateaus in the middle, like I spoke about with your squat in 2017. And then you just mentioned your deadlift there. And I think sometimes when people come into the sport, they think that it's just this upwards trajectory from the moment and I'm not surprised because when people begin and they are a beginner you can get those 20 kilo PRs I had even one of my clients she squatted a PR in March and then just last week she's just doubled it and I was like I would yeah. I remember when I was <laughs> and you could just do pretty much I mean obviously for still following a program there but you could almost do nearly anything and you'd still make some yeah. really good progress at that level yeah and I think that's kind of what differentiates the good good athletes from the great ones because the great ones keep going even in the midst of like injury or stress and then you know you have to still be smart about your training but if you still want to be in the game and be at a certain level 
you have to keep plugging away, even if that means you, you know, go down a little bit, or even that means like you're scraping just to hit what you hit the year before so that you can still be in the game. And for a lot of people, that's frustrating and they quit. For sure. When you did your last meet, you squatted 147 and a half. Was that a, did you feel like good under the bar? Was that a good sign for you that you were going in the right direction with your squats? Yeah, it felt good. Um, I had no like pain. Um, bench went really well. Surprisingly, deadlift didn't go as well um, for whatever reason. But, you know, it, it is what it is. You, it was like, wait, I just hit 190. I should have been able to hit that again because it would have been really nice to hit the numbers that I knew I could hit because then that would have been a PR total. And I think it would have been an unofficial world record total. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And you just it just keeps you excited for that next meet to hopefully, you know, do what you know you're capable of doing. Yeah, had you, so was Max coaching you at that competition? Did he coach you into that? Yeah, so we made the switch um, just to see if Max would have like a different uh, take with the squat programming. And then um, Chad was there with me in the back handling the numbers and everything else. So, and like my squat was going pretty good. It's just like probably two weeks before that meet, just kind of what typically happens to me is on that last heavy deadlift pull, I just, my back sciatic just came back. So I was actually really worried and like, holy shit, like, am I going to be able to squat or deadlift? And, you know, thankfully, like surprisingly, like I pulled 190 at that meet when I had it deadlifted for two weeks prior because I hurt myself. So um, I was actually really pleased with how that meet went, all things considered. With that sciatic pain, so you've been dealing with that for two years. Yeah. How I spoke, I spoke to Kristen a little bit about managing injuries and managing your mindset when it comes to injuries. But how has that been for you over two years having to deal with that pain? And like you said, not being able to even bend over and like pick up a shoelace and then having the confidence to go in and still do a heavy deadlift session. Yeah, I think like for me, it's knowing like, okay, well, that's part of the game. I'm not the only one probably dealing with injury or, or aches and pains. I mean, I'm going to be 44 years old. I was a gymnast. So it's like all of these things compound throughout your life, but also just being smart and, and also letting your coach know like, hey, this is hurting and then making the appropriate changes. So for me, it just went to from pulling from the floor to just a lot of block pulls. Like all we did was block pulls, block pulls, block pulls, and then maybe three weeks out from the meet, pull from the floor you know so just trying to be smart about how you're training and not pushing it when you don't need to push it so making sure that you have good injury workarounds because you want if you're if you're hurting and you're injured you want to be smart about what you're doing right so if it hurts to squat to depth because of a back injury or sciatic injury well then where does it not hurt okay it doesn't hurt when i'm squatting you know to parallel okay well you can still do some overloading stuff just squatting to parallel i think a lot of times people get nervous like okay well if i don't do this you know, this way up until the meet, I'm not going to be strong enough for the meet. But if you can't even squat at the meet because you're so hurt and injured from training through it, well, then it doesn't really matter. But if you play it smart and just do what you can do and knowing that, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to deadlift a world record, but if I can do just enough to win, then that's good enough. So I think in a lot of times when people are injured and they are even still doing workarounds, I think it's the fear of when people go into that meet having say not done a heavy squat for a couple of weeks and then having to get under the bar for maybe a PR, maybe something very, very close to and having to squat it like normally. I think that's the tough part is going in and thinking I have to move normally having no idea how this feels. And then that hesitation creeps in, which 
kind of increases the risk of injury even more so because you're not even squatting like normal. Have there been any moments like that for you where you have really hesitated with a squat or a deadlift? Um, well, for me, like deadlift is always like a scary thing. You know, when your back hurts, like pulling conventional is not the funnest thing to do. Um, so it was just kind of a different mindset. So every time I would pull from the floor when it was getting time for a competition and it was like, okay, I'm fine. And just kept telling myself, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And kind of changing the mindset from like, ah, rah, I can do this to everything is okay. Everything is okay. So then when I knew when I hit those heavy deadlifts, like, okay, nothing broke, nothing's hurting. I'm fine. So it's kind of that change of mindset where, okay, it's not hurting. So you, you do have to separate a lot of that fear sometimes is just in your head versus does it really hurt? And like really being honest with yourself after each pull, does it really hurt? Or was I just scared it was going to hurt? Oh, it actually didn't hurt and I'm fine. So I just kept telling myself, pulled it, I'm fine. I pulled it, I'm fine. It didn't hurt. And then the times where it started to hurt, call it and then start pulling from blocks. Yeah. And I think that's just something you learn with age too, because it's like, I'm not trying to be hurt. I'm not trying to have to roll out of bed and crawl across the floor. I, I have to still, you know, have my life and hang out with my kids and other things that I want to do. So, and I also want to have longevity in the sport. I don't need to flex for the gram and put up, you know, PR deadlifts every week. And, and I just don't have that same inkling to do that. I just don't care. I don't need, you know, a 10,000 likes and then only to go home and cry because my back hurts. Mm. So I've just really learned like I'm just lifting because I like it and I want to have longevity. I'm not trying to flex for the gram or for anybody out there who's just, you know, scrolling through to, to double tap on a video. Yeah, longevity is huge. And I think one thing I've noticed with you is after you finish a meet, you go into like a really different off-season program so where you are pulling sumo for example and you are adding in these other things that you may not have been doing do you think that has helped in terms of keeping you in the sport longer and keeping you healthy oh a ton because i notice too you know a lot of times i see people as soon as they're done with the meet they're still lifting like 90 percent of their max and i'm like man i don't know how you do it a physically but not only physically but mentally like i don't know about you but like the peaking block to me is the worst i hate it i hate thinking about, oh God, I'm going to have to put this heavy weight on my back. I'm going to have to pull almost four times body weight. It's like exhausting to think about. Yeah. Like it's just, to me, I love the end of a meet where I can actually do some fun stuff. Um, so, you know, we have that general block where it's sometimes it's not even doing any type of squatting or deadlifting. There was like a period after when my back was hurting where I just didn't do any of that leg press and in squat and lunges and I think most people avoid that because they have this fear well if I get back to squatting I'm going to be weak it's like well if I'm weak after four weeks of not squatting then this is just dumb like yeah I might feel like shit the first time you get back under it but it comes back rather quickly but also it's nice when you give your body that break you're actually excited to go back into the gym and get under that squat bar versus dreading it and I think that's why a lot of people dread it they're they're they don't take a break and they're squatting super heavy and they're doing it three or four times a week and their their training sessions take four hours like mine take 90 minutes max mm. like i've just never understood people that are spending four hours in the gym it's insane to me yeah i agree i don't know if i could ever spend yeah i mean i think as well as the more i train and i think the more i have in terms of like life responsibility the last thing i would ever want to do is spend four hours in the gym but i'm similar to you in the sense of i don't like a peaking block because I know how much mental energy it's going to take for me to be in the gym. A lot of things have to be put 
on the shelf just a little bit more than usual. And that's just me being honest with myself there. But I remember like when I went through a period and I was competing and I competed and then 12 weeks later I competed again. And then there was the thought of doing another comp in say another couple of months. And I was like, I cannot think of anything worse. And I think that really contributed to me feeling like a bit of burnout is just having to kind of back that up and have that mental capacity all the time. Because in reality, I don't have that mental capacity 90% of the time. I have to actually like prepare to have that mental capacity for the peaking block. Yeah. And that's why I think it's just really important after a meet to have some time where you just do some fun general fitness type of thing so that a, you give yourself a rest, but again, you just get excited to get back in there because if you're not excited about training. That's going to make every session feel terrible. You're going to mentally go into it drained. You're not going to have that same type of confidence. You're just going to start hating it. And you know, I guess for me, I just love the process so much. So it, I just never want to get to that point where I actually just hate doing it. Mm. Then it's just time to quit. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like it was kind of an easy thing or maybe not. It sounds like it may have been an easier thing for you to be able to kind of pivot after the meet and to add some of those movements back in. But I do understand how when people, other people might be in that situation, that might be really worried to let squatting and deadlifting go for a time period. But when you look at the whole picture and you think about being in a sport for a really long time, those three weeks aren't going to be, the make it or break it. But I do think there are a lot of things that play into that. And like you said, just then on Instagram, like people often do a lot of the heavy lifting and, or like re-record something for Instagram. I don't think I've, I have never gotten that vibe from you that Instagram is an important thing um, because you do seem quite well-rounded in the sense of you share so many aspects of your life. It's not just lifting. Yeah. I, I always tell people like, you know, when I get take on new clients and they're just like, well, I want to do this and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this. I'm just like, yeah, don't do that. Like powerlifting is fun and, but none of us get paid to do it. It's really important to find other aspects of lifting that you really love doing because a, if you get injured and you're not able to do it, you don't want your whole life to come crumbling down. I, for me, it's just always been really important. That's why I'm so glad I was did gymnastics and bodybuilding because I do love calisthenics and doing pull-ups and you know, the whole bodybuilding side of things where it's not always just geared towards lifting heavy and having this, you know, one rep maxes for Instagram. Like if it's really important for you to get likes or whatever, you know, there are other things you can do that, you know, people might be interested in seeing that are still athletic, you know? So I don't know for me, like calisthenics has been fun to do when I'm not doing powerlifting. And oddly enough, those kind of videos do much better than lifting anyways. You put up some incredible videos of you doing pull-ups. And was it in 2014 that you went on Ellen? Was it 2014? Yeah, yeah I just posted a video after deadlifting doing pull-ups and then it just went viral and it got picked up from there. And it's just, like I said, it's really funny because I, I think I had a video where I was like cutting wood with chopping wood with an ax like two years ago. And like that video was like 80,000 views. And I'm just like, God, this is so weird that things like this get more more attention than lifting. And that's why I always tell people it's really important to like, just take your lifting as something that you like doing that's for fun and not always trying to make a video for Instagram, because I don't think people actually really care as much as you think that they do. And so if you're like, you're putting your body through all of this for something that doesn't even matter, because if it doesn't happen on the platform, not that it doesn't matter, but it's, it's not a legit lift. So it's like, who cares if, why do you need to max out like every month if it doesn't, set a record or it's not in the record books because people's attention span is whatever they scrolled past the last 15 minutes. Yeah. What? So when you posted that video and it went viral, did they literally just contact you and be like, Hey, do you want to come on Ellen? 
yeah, so this lady called me and she's like, hi, I'm calling from the Ellen DeGeneres show. And I just hung up because I'm like, okay, sure. And then like they called again and she's like, yeah, I'm really serious. Like this is, don't hang up on me. I'm from Ellen. I can send over, you know, um, information validating who I am. We would like you to come on the show. And if possible, can I have your gym's number? Because I even drove to the gym where I filmed the video and picked up the Smith machine that I did the original pull-ups. Wow. I, they called me on a Thursday. I was on the show on a Monday. It was like that quick. And you did the pull-ups on the show? Is that correct? Yeah. So the crazy part is, so they, when they do Ellen, even though you watch it like at a certain time, you have to be there early. So they kind of do like run-throughs. And they, at that time, they didn't have the rights to the song. So they're like, well, we don't have the rights to the song, but these are the songs we have the rights to. So I had, I had practiced three different pull-up routines, which is kind of exhausting if you think about it, to like three different songs. And then like five minutes before I went out, they're like, we got the rights to the original song. So mind you, the whole time I'm in the green room, I'm going through three different routines in my head to three different songs. And then they finally got the rights to the original one, which is like, okay, this is great. That is so funny. It's just so random. I guess because you're in America, so I guess it makes more sense that they would co- like if you they saw something that was viral, they could they could contact you. But it's just crazy to think like for like people see things on like the Ellen Show and they're like, holy shit! And then when you're just like, I just was on the Ellen Show, like, yeah, it was it was it was really random. It was so weird. It and it kind of sucks too because like the timing was weird because like I didn't have like a website up or anything. It's like, man, can I leverage this in a different way? But you know, it was still fun and it was a good experience. It, I do like it is sometimes kind of annoying because even now when I go like like that was so long ago and it's funny because like even at meets before they'll even say, oh, five-time national champion, 2017 world champion. Oh, Marissa was on the Ellen show. It's like, okay, is that, like, I'm doing a powerlifting meet. Do we really need to bring that up? Oh my God, that is so random. It is, they always say it. So it's like, I, I feel like everyone else has these like lifting accolades and mine is like, oh, she was on the Ellen show. And I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a pretty okay lifter too. Yeah. I can just imagine you when I just brought it up this and I'm like the Ellen show and you're like for fuck's sake (laughs) (laughs) no it's actually it is funny like like I said uh, every like me thing it's like the the first thing they say and I'm just like okay well we can move on now (laughs) I'm like okay what are the plans like what do you I know things are up in the air at the moment but are you still training? Are you still thinking there'll be a meet at the end of this year? Or are you thinking more long-term and just training well, at the moment? Nationals, yeah, our nationals got canceled. So, I mean, there's no like powerlifting meets that I'm aware of. I mean, I know you can do like a local or a regional one, but it's like, man, what's the point of doing that? Just, you know, I might as well just train and, and get strong work on, you know, areas where I feel like I have weaknesses. Um, I'm doing like kind of a fun online Eddie Hall meet where it's like you deadlift and clean and jerk. And oh, cool. it goes pound, yeah, pound for pound women winner gets $10,000. So yeah, I might as well try to make a little bit of money. And, and I don't know, we'll see what happens. I know that IPF said that they were going to do um, the Arnold in December in Barcelona. Oh, wow. They'll, they'll be sending invites out for that. I mean, I don't know who, how they're deciding who gets invites for that or not. But I mean, I guess if that was something I got invited to, I would consider it if they're allowing Americans in. Because I know with our corona um, viruses, you know, kind of we're like at the top of the list for having the most. I know a lot of countries aren't allowing US to come in. So I guess just at this point, I feel like everything's kind of a toss up right now. So 
Yeah, I've even when people have um asked about meets. I mean, we're planning to hold one in September, but if things go into more of like a wave two for Australia, then that is very, very likely that that won't happen. But even thinking about my own training, I was like, I mean, I don't really want to plan for something and then have to go into say a peaking block or be even halfway through a peaking block and then have to make that decision to not do it. So it's just up in the air, I think for everyone. Yeah. Same. Like as soon as like, when like the Arnold thing happened with like, we had to do the Arnold with like no audience. And mm. right after that, I didn't even like really train, start training like seriously for worlds. Cause I knew like, I'm like, this is not going to happen. And you know, I know everyone was holding out hope and I'm like, yeah, I'm going into power building and doing hypertrophy. And if it pans out, it pans out. And in a way I was like kind of glad that they just early on decided, okay, it's going to be moved. And, and I think, I don't know if they'd canceled it, if like the Russian team is still going, but most every country pulled their team. How was the Arnold when there was no spectators there? Because when you think of the Arnold, I went there, I think it was in 2015, I went to the Arnold um, to watch and to just like be there. Cause yeah. it's such a cool experience, especially if you have been from like a bodybuilding background as well. I've yeah, never yeah. seen anything like that in terms of in a convention. It was just insane. If anyone has the opportunity to go to the Arnold in the future, do it. It's incredible. So it's like a different world of people, but oh, really- when you see the photos from the Arnold, especially when you had that meet in 2017, there's this photo of you on the stage and you can just yeah. see how many people are in the audience so how was that experience compared to that one that was amazing honestly that's been the most fun meet I've ever done um when you're on that Grand Prix stage you're like you're in the main stage and so like the audience was just amazing I mean Worlds has never been never had an audience like that I mean it, it was wild just to have everybody cheering for you and so it was kind of exciting to go to be invited back to do the Grand Prix in 2019 and then just have everything kind of like, oh, well, sorry, we're not having the Grand Prix. Now you guys are on this stage. We can't even have an audience. And not that the audience is like, that would that was honestly the only reason I was going to go was to get back on that road stage because quite honestly, like I, I hate the crowds. Like navigating anything in Ohio during like the Arnold is such a nightmare. You can't get into any restaurants. Like even just going through like the, the you know, where they have the expo. It's like, oh, the expo is crazy. You can't even walk, and that's where they held the 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 meet is is inside the expo hall, through there. So it was just like that's just a nightmare to navigate. So that part going there this year was was fun in the sense that okay, we got to eat at restaurants. There was like no wait time. It was easy to get in parking, get in and out of the venue. On the flip side, competing with like no like real good cheering section, you know, was kind of a letdown. But you know, it is what it is, and. I, I mean, I give USAPL a lot of credit for just kind of rolling with the punches and, 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 you know, making sure that the venue where we did compete was really cool. The stage was pretty awesome. It had really cool lighting. And then they, all the competitors, everyone stayed around for everybody else to kind of cheer each other on. So that was cool. Yeah. I think in that sense, like when you have a crowd, it's, it's not so much about even people watching. It's just the energy yeah. that is in the yeah. room when people are cheering for you to go out for those lifts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said, that's why the 2017 Grand Prix was just the most amazing thing ever. The crowd was awesome. What has been your favorite, just before we start wrapping up, what has been your favorite moment or favorite moments over the past few years for on in powerlifting for you? Favorite moment by far is the 2017 Grand Prix. 
because I went nine for nine, the first time I've ever done that. I broke at the time the all-time world record total, um, and it was just a great meet. I mean, you can't beat the feeling of like hitting PRs across the board and not getting one red light. Um, beyond that, probably winning my first nationals meet just because it was such like a, a, a weird kind of like struggle in the beginning and understanding that kind of like navigating through the politics of the USAPL. And um, so that, that was really like a great thing. And then just recently um, hitting that 190 kilo deadlift at nationals when you go for two years not hitting a PR, it's just so satisfying to like have a breakthrough again and start feeling like your old self. So, I mean, those, those are like definitely some good moments. It's, and of course, like winning worlds was good, but it was, it, winning worlds wasn't as fun as like the Grand Prix because the Grand Prix was like this. And then, yeah, I won worlds, but I didn't do as well as I did like three months prior. So, you know, of course, winning worlds was great, but I would have to say by far 2017 was awesome. Plus like the pictures of Chad in the background are just priceless. <laughs> Even seeing him in the background of um some of Christian's photos, yeah, like these are just so great. Yeah, it's 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 fun to have him back there. When I spoke to Kristen, she was saying that um when she was dealing like with her pain and she was trying to train, and there was moments where she was also in tears, and yeah. Chad was just like, I don't know what to do right now, kind of thing, and like just giving her a pat on the shoulder. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have definitely made him mad because, you know, she would, time we'd be all training in the garage together and we'd both be like upset and then Chad would just leave and we called it his rage shower. I'm going to go take a shower. And we're like, oh, he's going to go take a rage shower because he's like mad at us. <laughs> so funny. Okay. It's like the code word for being like, oh my God, you guys are annoying me so much. I'm going to take a, take a shower. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I'm sure we definitely both put him through like the super frustrating moments with us where it's just like, even as a coach, I'm sure at some point, like, yeah, you can't keep telling someone like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, when you're in that moment, that heated moment of being frustrated and upset, it's like, you know, it's like a kid when you're dealing with your kid and you're telling them that they're pretty when they think they're ugly. And it's like, well, at that moment, there's probably nothing you can say. Maybe just walk away. <laughs> yeah. It definitely happens. Like I have had times where I've been training with my partner and I've been through like a really frustrating training session. And I just remember one time I was just in tears and he's so, it's just powerlifting, like get over it kind of thing. It's fine. Like it's just for fun. Why are you doing it? It's not fun kind of thing. That's when I was going through like a bit of like my burnout stage. Yeah. There was literally nothing he would have been able to say. I was just still in tears. (laughs) So I can definitely see how that that frustration. Yeah. It's like, sometimes it's like, okay, just leave it alone and then come back to it later. And, you know, kind of realize quickly like, okay, this is, I'm being dramatic. Let me stop. Yeah. Has it been, ever been hard for you having Chad as your partner? Has it ever been hard for you guys to draw the line with coaching? Um, you know, we actually do really well together. Um, I think like there, there's definitely been moments like when I'm frustrated and he's like, you know, trying to like bring me out of it. And then I'm like super negative. So I just like, I almost keep doing it to like, so he can be as mad as I am at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I think like we've kind of learned, you know, cause we've worked, we've worked really well together. I think we've kind of learned where he's just like, okay, we need to talk about it. We need to figure this out. Like, you know, or he'll like quickly say like, okay, well, I'm sorry. Like if you feel like I'm doing this, how can I help be better? So I think we've gotten really good at like being able to communicate so it's, it's been really good. And, and again, like I tend not to get like super frustrated because at the end of the day, it's like, 
I, I know like I can, I'm going to be fine and I'll get over it. And this training session is not going to bleed into the second or the third training session. So, I mean, I think I've gotten a lot better grasp of, you know, of my own capabilities and just, just being better at letting it just go. Someone who has been involved in the sport for so long and for someone who has achieved so much, do you have any advice for someone who is at the start of their sport or maybe like midway through because you've had so much experience over the past few years. And like I said, you've been through having periods with your squat, having periods with your deadlifts. And I just think it's such an important message to put out there in terms of not being too attached to the numbers and having more of a deeper reason for why you love the sport and why you train. But do you have anything advice for someone who is starting? My main advice for when people are starting is get good programming, be smart. Um, don't be afraid to gain weight. I think especially with female lifters, they get tied into like, Oh, I want to be a 52 kilo lifter when they're like five foot seven. And it's like, that's just not realistic. It's um, be okay with growing into your weight class, which takes time. Putting on muscle takes time. So, um, I think my biggest advice is, you know, be okay with doing some bodybuilding stuff to build some muscle and to grow into your weight class and be consistent because consistency is king. Um, and that also just going to help you avoid injury. You know, if you're constantly trying to diet down, you're not going to get strong. You're going to get hurt. So you, you definitely have to be okay with like putting on some size, eating a little bit more and putting on some muscle and don't get tied to a weight class if your body is destined to be heavier. Yeah. I and mean, you have been in the same weight class for since you've started powerlifting was there ever a moment where you thought you'd get like go up into a different weight class or was it always going to be staying in the 52s for you yeah so for me um I I feel like everyone's like well yes I have been in the same weight class since I started but because I started in like bodybuilding I already had so much muscle mass I was already kind of at the top of the weight class so like if you were to look at me and all the other 52s I'm probably more muscular than all of them yeah um so for me, like, I think I could still probably max out the 52s by trying to build more muscle and maybe sit at like being 54 kilos and diet down to 52, but 57 kilo would be really hard for me because I am five feet tall and I am already pretty muscular. I just don't know, man, I'm, and I'm already going to be 44. Like how much bigger could I get? Like, I feel like I've already kind of given my height and my frame. I'm destined to be a very like muscular maxed out 52. Whereas like, if you look, at Joy, Joy's a little bit taller and leaner. I think she could put on a lot more muscle, plus she's like 20 something, I believe, and probably fill out and max out a 57 kilo class and be 10 times stronger. Maybe not in the very beginning, but probably two years into not dieting down to the 52, she'd probably dominate the 57s. Yeah, for sure. And I think you just touched on it then. She is already, she goes between weight classes now anyways. And so long-term, given her age and given her height and her frame, she probably is going to sit in that weight class anyways, especially if she does want to put on some muscle mass because it does get a lot harder to cut that weight if you are really popping on that muscle. So, Yeah, you you tend to have to limit yourself because then if you get too muscular and you still want to compete in a class lower than what you're at, you're going to sacrifice some strength to keep dieting down to that weight class. That'll be, I, I definitely want to still compete against her. So I hope she doesn't move up, <laughs> but um, you know, just for purposes of explaining like weight classes, that's my main advice. Look at your frame, look at what your body is like and be okay with, you know, 
putting on some muscle, which might mean you might have to compete in a heavier weight class, maybe not do as well, but if you keep going, you're going to keep building muscle and you're going to continuously get better. Hard though, because I think in that situation, like females already try to be smaller in day-to-day life. And so when you go into a weight class and maybe you're sitting between the two, the default is to go into that smaller weight class. And I, again, like, I don't think it's the, the best decision because when you're in powerlifting, you, you want to get stronger. If you go down, there is a chance of you getting weaker in that weight class. So I, but I do understand why people would yeah. go towards that side of things. Yeah. And it's definitely hard. You know, I've had clients who are neurolifters and it's, these are the conversations that we have. And that's always when they get ready for a meet, I'm just like, you're just going to weigh in what you're going to weigh in. We're not, we're not doing this like cut to this class because we also want it to be like a fun experience and, and have you enjoy it. The crazy part, even for me is like, I never stepped on the scale when I competed in powerlifting shoot until the day I, I, I went into weigh in. The only time I started stepping on a scale was when I did worlds and you know, if you didn't make weight, you couldn't compete. Yeah. But before that, I just would go in like, I don't, whatever I weigh, I'm going to weigh because it didn't matter. They would just bump you into the next weight class. So like I never weighed myself. Yeah. And just before I have one last question, just before, cause I'm like, I'm aware I'm taking more of your time, but as someone, when I look at you and when I look at what you put out on Instagram, you obviously do have a muscular physique, which I love seeing because again, I was in that bodybuilding world. Yeah. How, and you also have a teenage daughter. So yeah. how do you navigate that and body image? as someone who does, does have a muscular physique, who is involved in a strength sports, because you kind of knocked out those stereotypes. Yeah. It, it's funny because my daughter, she lifts weights, but her, her go, her default is like, I want to lift, but I don't want to look like you. Like you got, you're too muscular. And it's like, I always tell her, I'm like, okay, well you don't have to look like me, but also keep in mind, it takes a long time, years of consistency to look the way that I look. Also, I always tell her like, don't be afraid to lift weights because a, it doesn't happen overnight. And B, you know, a lot of that has to do with how consistent you are, how, you know, consistent you are not only with your training, but with your eating. And, you know, you can sculpt your physique any way that you want to sculpt your physique. You don't have to look like me. But also keep in mind, the more you lift and the more you get into it, you will develop some muscle because what do you think is going to happen? So, you know, just kind of making her aware of that because, you know, she is 16 and she wants to look like the girls she sees on Instagram, which is, skinny everywhere but just a big butt and for me it's like okay well that's annoying but at the same time like I'm not gonna like tell her you can't look like that it's that's kind of what is driving her to go to the gym and I feel like for me whatever gets you in there eventually you might start enjoying lifting and then you might want to look a certain way so um and then also just showing her like she sees when people say shitty things and I'm just like I don't care like I'm happy with me. So you have to be happy with the way you look. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Like it doesn't affect me. I don't go crying into my pillow. It doesn't change how I'm going to post on my Instagram. I post what I want to post and I don't care what anybody thinks because I'm going to be 44 years old. I really can't occupy my time with people that I've never met. Oh no, absolutely not. Not on the internet. I imagine most of them are just probably like, you look like a man. That's like the go-to for it. Uh, 100%. Or like I've had people go, oh my God, you're posting in your underwear and your sports bra, like your poor kids. And I'm just like, okay, well, it's no different than a bikini, number one. And number two, like I, my kids are also, my daughter's just like, I, mommy, I don't care. Like you're not doing yeah. some 
hustler type of posing. And she's like, and also like you're a grown woman and you lift weights for a living. She goes, I don't understand why people would think that because I'm fine and I'm not posting that. I'm not, you know, 18 years old. And, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like my kids have a pretty good understanding of it and they've kind of been around lifting their whole life in the gym. So they see like, I mean, my daughter works at the gym now and she's like seen the guys pull their pants down in the back room and doing like posing. posing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think it's like a thing. Also like culturally speaking, like I grew up like with my mom who was like always wandering around naked. So for me, it's like, it's just a physique. Like why is this such a weird thing for people when they get like, so, oh my God, you're in a sports bra. Like I'm just like, it's just a physique. It's, mm. it's a weird thing for me to people to get so upset about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Like I said, you've done some really incredible things since you started in powerlifting and I've just loved to see how you've been approaching, especially like the past few years, because I felt like I have also been in like a bit of like a squat, squat plateau. And so it's been nice for you to be like, obviously so open about it. And because it is so rare to see people say yeah like I am struggling with this but then also offer that positive advice that you've been popping on to your post too so I really appreciate that yeah thank you girl I appreciate it we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna overcome this plateau I know it And that concludes today's episode with Marissa Inder. I hope you enjoyed my chat with her. She is an incredible person, incredible competitor. And yeah, I really appreciate her giving me her time for this podcast. If you want to find her again, head to the show notes. If you want to find us, head to Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram. And if you want to find me, your host, you can find me at Beyonce on Instagram. I will see you guys next week and I hope everyone is keeping safe and well. I know if you're in Australia that we are potentially going to have a second wave and I know how incredibly stressful it can be and how incredibly stressful this year has been as well. So a reminder to reach out to your friends and family if you need someone to chat to. But I will see you guys next time. I hope you've enjoyed joining me every week um, and hopefully taking your mind off a few things. So I'll see you guys all next week.